This is season five of Play Therapy Across the Lifespan. And in this season, I want to share ideas to help you create a play space that conveys to clients that this is a great place to do therapeutic work. I've invited Dr. Casey Lee to join me in the conversation, so you'll hear more than just my perspective. We've got lots of practical ideas, and even those of you who have been doing play therapy for years will get some ideas for making your play space even better. If you're a beginner, these seven podcasts will walk you through spaces, toys, organization, and ethics. Bring your creativity. This is the fourth episode this season as we talk about Playroom Essentials, and we are just now getting to the toys. First, we considered the space you have and how to define it. Then, we looked at practically setting up that space. Last time, I suggested five tips for funding your playroom, and now we are going to talk about how to select the toys and tools for your play space. Gary Landreth says that the toys and materials should be selected, not collected. He describes three categories of toys, and that's a good start for a playroom that has the tools needed for therapeutic work. His categories are real life, aggressive release, and creative expression. And when you are selecting toys, you want to make sure that you have some from each category. I've got some suggestions to help you do that, and another interview with Dr. Casey Lee with her suggestions. This is Episode 30, Selecting Toys and Tools. This is the fun part. The toys! There are so many great things to gather. Your clients will love this, and this, oh, and this. Hold on. Just because it is a toy doesn't mean that it belongs in your playroom. And just because it could be therapeutic doesn't mean that your client needs it to do their work. Toy clutter is still clutter. You want enough toys for your clients to be able to do their work, but not so much that it becomes too much. And more is sometimes too much. Lean towards simplicity and not overstimulation. You can add more later if you need them. A mobile bag or a printer paper box will hold all the toys you really need. If you have an office space, naturally you could have more, but be cautious about overfilling your space. One of my students doing a practice session in a playroom described it as an explosion of toys. That's too much. Let's go back to Gary Landris' three categories of toys. For the clients to have the tools needed to do their work, you need some from each category. And sometimes toys can cross categories. Think about what your client experiences in their lives. Maybe they have siblings, pets, carpools, or soccer practice. These days, they wear masks, have virtual school, and see other people through a screen. 
They know that money buys groceries, pays bills, causes stress, and those that have it have more power. They may be helping with meal prep and housekeeping. You want toys that represent real life and where they can play out their personal experiences, some every day and some traumatic. So you need toys that represent families, transportation, eating, buying, school, and living in a pandemic. You don't need every possible toy, but you do need things that clients can adapt for their lives. It could be a family of raccoons or a mixed species family from an assortment of animal toys, but you need toys that can be family. The family needs to be able to go places. They need to be able to eat, to spend, to learn, and any other things that are part of life for your population. These may be some of the toys that your client needs for nurturing play or play for safety and security themes. Your client also needs toys and tools to express big emotions. Dr. Landreth called these aggressive release toys. With children, they may include big movements like swinging a plastic sword, chasing you with a snake, or jumping off a stool with a loud aha. Weapons and toys that capture are important for playing out empowerment and control themes. If you work in a school, you'll need to follow your school's policy since some have no-tolerance policies for weapons, even toys. But toy guns aren't your only option here. Balls that can be thrown, a jump rope for capturing and tying up, creepy spiders, intimidating monsters, and ninja action figures all provide options for big emotions and power. His third category is creative expression. Children are so imaginative that they can make what they need for real-life or aggressive release toys with creative materials. But this category also provides another way to play using that right brain that experiences emotions. You can include art, music, sand, puppets, dress-up, and other expressive art materials. Blocks are nice here, too, and they can be used for a lot more than building. If you work with older clients using play therapy, the expressive arts you include will allow the client to be creative, nurturing, and feel big emotion. This category will also serve the function of real-life and aggressive release, but in a less juvenile way. If you incorporate expressive arts, that's art, music, sand, writing, photography, movement, drama, and so on, you will need materials for that. I suggest you limit your space to only one or two expressive arts. Maybe your dream space will have entire rooms dedicated to different expressive arts. But if you only have one room, don't try to cram it with everything. I'm curious what Casey will include as her must-haves in a playroom. Join me for that conversation next. This season, I have a special guest. 
Dr. Casey Lee is a registered play therapist supervisor, a national certified counselor, and a licensed professional counselor as a mental health service provider in Tennessee. She is also my colleague in the Clinical Mental Health Counseling Program, and she's the faculty director of Lipscomb University's Center for Play Therapy and Expressive Arts. She earned both a bachelor's and a master's degree at Vanderbilt University and a doctoral degree at the University of North Texas, where she naturally specialized in play therapy. And she trained with world-renowned play therapists like Drs. Gary Landreth, Sue Bratton, and Dee Ray. Dr. Lee is also approved by the Center for Play Therapy as a trainer and supervisor for mental health professionals seeking certification as child-centered play therapist and child-parent relationship therapist. She has lots of experience and wisdom in play therapy and a heart for teaching it. This is a portion of my interview with her. All right, Dr. Casey Lee, thank you for joining me again. Today on the podcast, we've been talking about um, selecting toys and tools and, you know, picking out the toys is fun and selecting toys like that's just like fun. It's fun to put together the playroom. So what would you say about how you go about selecting toys? Yeah, um, I think um, I want to go back to theory on this. I think everything we do in the player in therapy in general needs to be guided by our theoretical approach. And um, I see this question on social media a lot of what do I put in my playroom or what do I do with this client? And um, I'm like, well, what's your theory? What's your theoretical approach? What do you believe about counseling? What do you believe needs to be in that room for it to be therapeutic? So um, I want to make sure that I have a good guided, uh, um, strong foundation and that's what's guiding me when I'm making my decisions and that I'm not just, um, you know, buying the toys on the list, but I'm not really sure why I'm just kind of trusting, you know, well, that's what Gary Landers says. So that's what I'm going to put in there. Um, I need to know why I need to understand why, um, they need to be purposeful. Yes. Everything in the room needs to have a purpose. Um, and you need to know, um, you need to be thinking about how might this toy be used, um, by a child for therapeutic purposes. So, yeah, we um, we want toys to be selected, not collected. Um, you know, and that's straight out of Dr. Landreth's uh, book. And he has a lot of um, uh, questions to ask yourself or purposes that toys uh, should serve. Um, and so I really recommend, you know, going back and revisiting. You know, he has a whole chapter on it, has a lot of information. And that's really the best place to start. Um, if, you've, if you've never really thought about this before or had training, about this before. Um, I really recommend reading that. Um, but some of the things he mentions is, um, and really I've been excited to see um, child development literature that's been coming out recently is really aligned with a lot of what we've been saying in um, child-centered play therapy about toys should be simple, shouldn't be complex. Um, so very rarely will you see anything with batteries um, or a predetermined kind of use. Um, they should allow for flexible play, creative play. It can be used in multiple ways. Um, so uh, freedom of expression, you know, they shouldn't be overcomplicated. They shouldn't need help to use this toy. They should just be able to pick it up and use it in a way that, you know, they feel comfortable with. Uh, we want to pick toys that are durable, that are going to last, 
Um, in you know, previous episode, we talked about buying things at Dollar Tree and some things are wonderful, um, but we want everything in the room to be um, usable and not broken. Um, and so, when we, especially when we think about those used, getting some used items like we've talked about before, um, you know, used is good, broken is not. Um, so we want things that are going to be durable and they're going to last and they're going to allow for freedom. So if I'm worried in the back of my mind about this thing being broken, um, I need to think about is that something that really needs to be in the room? Because I do want toys that allow children to test limits. Um, so things like having a rope in the playroom, having handcuffs in the playroom. So they really get to test their limits of power and control of what if I handcuff you, what are you going to do? Um, what is that, you know, what is that going to look like? Um, as said before, thinking about furniture, so a kitchen doesn't necessarily have to be a kitchen. It can be something a child stands on so they can feel tall and powerful. And so really thinking about how can things be used in multiple ways. Um, you know, one thing I, I include in the playroom is, um, boxes of like empty cereal boxes or empty egg cartons, and they can use them in the kitchen as pretend food, but they could also stomp on them and rip them up if they need to. Um, and so thinking about, you know, everything in here should have multiple purposes, multiple ways that it can be used. So from a child-centered perspective, we avoid things like board games, books. Um, and a lot of play therapy, you know, a lot of play therapists will include things like board games and books, but again, going back to your theoretical approach, what is my purpose? What is my goal? Um, how is this going to benefit the child therapeutically? Um, and so from a child centered perspective, we're, we're focused on freedom of expression and the relationship. Um, and sometimes, you know, books and board games don't really facilitate that as well as more open-ended boys might do. Um, so we want to be grounded in theory. Um, and we want to think about, I think I said before in a, in a previous episode, Dr. Ray mentions, what's the therapeutic purpose? How is this going to help the child express themselves? And how is this going to help us build a relationship? So that really needs to guide um, what I'm doing when I'm selecting toys. And again, thinking about the categories. So maybe I'm not buying every toy on the list, but I'm thinking about the categories. Um, and before we talked about um, Terry Cotman's categories, because that's what we used um, in the, the use of toys in child-centered play therapy research study that we did. Um, but Gary Lander talks about, he just lists three toys and that can be easier to remember in your mind maybe, but um, real life toys, aggressive toys and creative expression. So things like art supplies for creative expression, um, paint. Um, Sand can be, some toys go cross categories, but, um, and again, we want that. We want that freedom. So I always give the example of the bot bag um, that it's typically seen as an aggressive toy that we hit it, we punch it, um, you know, maybe we shoot the gun at it, um, but some kids might hug it or lay down with it or put dress up clothes on it. Very nurturing. Yeah, very nurturing play. And so, uh, you know, we put the toys in the categories, but we also want to think more broadly of that these toys are going to be used in multiple ways. Um, and those are the toys that we want that allow for that flexibility. So great ideas for toys there. Just for you personally, just you, Casey, 
Um, what would you say are your top five must-haves in your playroom? Yeah. Um, so I thought about this uh, recently with my son because we do um, uh, special play time at home where we pull out our special play kit. We do our 30 minutes once a week. Um, and so I think about, you know, what do I really want? In the, it's not a playroom, just a bag. Um, but so if I have to condense, if I have to be intentional about what I'm narrowing this down to, what do I want in there? Um, and uh, even though we're doing this in our living room, um, I have a sandbox in our um, special play kit. Um, and we know from research, I mentioned the study in an earlier episode that um, the vast majority of children play with the sand during their play sessions. And so um, sand is a top one for me. Um, again, a bigger box so they can get in it if they need to. Um, not, I typically don't have that in schools um, because um, messes are harder to clean up in schools, but um, a sandbox, if you have the space for one, um, with access to water. Uh, so one of the things at UNT, you know, it's the ideal space. So we have sinks in the room with running water, but um, even when that's not possible, even just having like a water bottle um, in the sandbox with just a little bit of water, maybe like half a cup of water um, so that kids have access to it um, for the sand play if they need it. So sand and water is my top one. The bot bag is one that I think is really important, again, because it can be used in all kinds of different ways, um, the nurturing play or the aggressive play. Um, art supplies, so crayons, markers, paper, scissors, and glue. Again, really simple, you know, not, uh, not elaborate. Um, but just really basic art supplies, a, f a family of some sort. So I actually, in my portable play therapy kit, I don't have um, a, a doll family. I have um, an animal family. Um, because one thing we want to think about is we want uh, the toys in our room to be representative of our clients. Um, and our clients can be really diverse. And so it might be really hard to have dolls of all shades of colors. And so um, I use an animal family to kind of alleviate, you know, anything about um, race or ethnicity. And it's really more about, you know, there are big ones and there are small ones and they go together in their family. Um, and some of them look different than others, um, but they're all the same species. So that way they can be used as animals or they can be used as a family. And, and, and doll families can be very expensive. So I really encourage, you know, students and parents that um, you know, dolls are expensive and typically we can find animals cheaper. And so that's a really good, um, alternative. And they can make up complex family structures sometimes a little easier too. Yeah. Yeah. And there's less rules about, you know, how old is this person or what color is their hair and what, you know, it's, it's, they get less caught up in the concreteness of it. And, um, just more of this is the big one and this is the small one. And we go, go from there. Um, I think the other one probably be, um, the puppet theater. Uh, I think like I've said before, um, uh, having a space where, so we go into the relationship really wanting to connect with this child and relate to this child and make them feel safe. And, um, but they might be coming in wanting to distance from us. Um, and you know, like I said before, we don't want rooms that are too big. Uh, we also don't want rooms that are too small. So we want children 
um, to be able to get close to us physically if they want, but also physically distance if they want. And the puppet theater, I find, really allows for that um, that room that they can go behind it. Um, you know, kids will kids will say that you know, turn around, don't look, or turn the lights off. Like they want um, privacy for lots of different reasons. You know, sometimes they want to surprise you, or sometimes it helps them feel safer. And um, so, I think the puppet theater really kind of has that physical boundary for them when they need it from because for those of us who've been in therapy <laughs> the therapeutic relationship is pretty intense it can be very vulnerable and kids kids feel that too it's just the same as it is for them as it is for us so it, it allows them you know a very concrete way to say i want some distance from you and i want to provide that for them if that's what they need mm-hmm. yeah and as i'm listening to you kind of outline your must-haves. Um, I was thinking that they actually, you've kind of intentionally and strategically picked them across categories um, so that if you only have the very few things that it still covers those areas um, so that the children have the tools they need to do the work they need to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And my my son, I was thinking about my son the other day. He was, um, he was playing with an invisible toy the other day. <laughs> there was there was something that he needed and he didn't have. And he was just kind of narrating his play, letting me know what he was playing with. And there was nothing in his hands. <laughs> so knowing <laughs> children are creative, they're resilient. They're going to, you know, they're going to have what they need. Um, that yes, it is our responsibility to set up this environment for them. Um, but if they need something and they feel safe enough with you, um, you know, they will make whatever you have, they will make it work for what they need. Absolutely. You know, I haven't seen it yet, but I'd be really curious to see some research on children of people who do play therapy. Oh, no. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Well, one more question for you today is that if you had your dream playroom, um, what would be kind of like your dream thing, like the big thing that you'd really want in there? I think I have two. Uh, One, um, I think I'm far too practical and and my mind went to um, a bathroom, having a bathroom in the playroom. Um, so the first um, playrooms that we had at UNT that Gary Landers designed, um, they had bathrooms in them. You know, they had a door, so it was a separate door, but it was right off the playroom. No one else had access to it. Um, so if the child was in session and needed anything, you know, needed to go to the bathroom, needed sink, needed whatever, um, it was there for them. And we didn't have to go get a parent. We didn't have to disrupt the process. Um, and just having a, and, or if sessions got really messy, we had an opportunity to clean them up before they go out into the waiting room. So people wouldn't necessarily know how they had spent their time that day. Um, so I think that's kind of, um, ideal, I think is the bathroom, but, um, and I'm thinking that's just too, that's not fun. That's not fun at all. So (laughs) I was trying to think of something more fun and creative, um, shoot the moon. (laughs) Right, right. If I could really, like, really think outside the box, um, I think there's some really interesting new research around um, uh, nature-based play therapy and being outside and um, really tapping into that. And there was a doctoral student at UNT who um, either just graduated or is about to graduate in her her dissertation. Um, she basically built a child-centered play therapy room outside, um, and they ran a study to investigate you know, the impact of nature-based child-centered play therapy. Um, and there's also another uh, researcher at the university. I think she's 
still at the University of Florida. I might be wrong about that, but um, Jacqueline Swank has published some things on nature-based um, child-centered play therapy. So I think, yeah, if I'm dreaming big, um, having this playroom that opens up to an outdoor space where children can kind of extend their space inside or outside, whatever whatever they need, um, I think that would be amazing to be able to to have that. Oh, I love that. I'm so glad I asked that question. And on that note, we'll pause this interview and and maybe our listeners can dream about like what their dream thing in the playroom might be. What I hope you learned today is to be intentional in how you curate your toys and materials for the playroom. Make sure you have some real life, some aggressive release, and some creative expression toys. Start with less and add as you go. I try to be informative here, but I love to learn too. I got some new ideas from talking with Casey. What did you learn? We often think of toys as fun, but fun isn't one of the criteria when selecting them. Sometimes the work your client is doing isn't fun at all. It's hard. It's scary. And the future is unknown. But that is why the client has you. You provide the safe space that gives a client the courage to talk to an abuser while playing in your office. You surround a child with unconditional positive regard when swinging a weapon and saying the unmentionable. You give the client permission to be vulnerable and authentic because you are genuine. And that is how you facilitate healing. You are so important. What you do matters. And play therapy gives clients the tools to do very hard work. I am so glad that you are honing your knowledge and skills to help them. Thanks for joining me on this podcast today. There are many settings where you might use play therapy. And when you mix in that we are all unique, play spaces are going to be different. Although there isn't an exact right way to set up a playroom, there are certainly things that make it function better for both you and the client. I hope that today's episode helped you improve your play space. If you have ideas, contact us at playtherapypodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at playtherapypodcast.org. You can follow me on Instagram at playtherapywithdrdenise. Remember, I don't have an E at the end of Denise. I appreciate all the subscribers in our playful tribe. When you subscribe, it helps others find us too. A big thank you to Dr. Casey Lee, the editing magic of audio engineer Sheldon Clark, production assistant Kara Allison, and songwriter Sarah Beth Go. This podcast is funded through the Lipscomb University Center for Play Therapy and Expressive Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Denise Thomas. Now go play, create, and heal. You wonder when you'll get your song again and make happy the dreams.
See you. 